afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. Joined, as always, with Cole Little. This is Dustin Reese. And Cole, how was your weekend this past weekend and so far this week? Uh, good. I've been doing well, man. How about you? Good. I got moved into the new office yesterday, so that's finally taken care of and done outside of all the stuff that I just got to organize, which I didn't feel like doing yesterday, but the moving part's out of the way, so that part's good. That's good. That's good. So uh, we'll kick off the show today by discussing some football talk, and we'll start with the Chicago Bears and the NFL Draft, and If you want to go back and look at the first two rounds of the NFL draft, I think it's pretty clear to say that the Chicago Bears won the first two rounds of that draft. They traded up from 20 to number 11 and surprised everyone by taking Justin Fields. I know you and I talked about Chicago possibly taking a quarterback at some point in the draft, but neither one of us expected them to trade up and get Fields especially. Then you look at their pick in the second round when they got Tevin Jenkins. Jenkins was actually a first-round talent that was actually projected to go number 20 to the Bears from the beginning. So essentially, the Bears are getting two first-round picks in their first two rounds. And then you go further down the list to round six, where they get a guy like Daz Newsom, who a lot of people don't know who Daz Newsom is, but you being an ACC guy and watching him play at North Carolina, Daz Newsom is a steal in the sixth round, and I kind of compare it to when the Vikings got Stefan Diggs a couple of years ago in the fifth round where everyone knew he was going to be a playmaker. They just didn't know the type of playmaker he was going to be. But just thoughts on the Bears draft in general, and how do you think Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy handled things? Um, I was very impressed. Uh, yeah, congratulations to the Bears, specifically Ryan Pace on a job well done. Um, obviously the big storyline and, and, you know, arguably the biggest storyline of the draft, or at least one of the ones up near the top uh, was the, uh, trade to acquire, to trade up in the draft and be able to, to select Justin Fields. I mean, that's a potential franchise changing move. Um, it's something that could pay dividends for that team for years to come, obviously. Um, you know, for now, I mean, they're still saying that Andy Dalton is the starter, which, you know, as they should. I mean, um, veteran guy, I can imagine that, um, you know, he'll probably start some games. But but Justin Fields will be waiting in the wing and uh, waiting in the wings and ready to take over when necessary, you know, if, if Dalton struggles or maybe, maybe it doesn't come until next year, but um, that's a potentially huge move that could, you know, give this franchise a true franchise quarterback first time in a a bit. So um, yeah, great decision to trade up and, and select fields. Of course, with fields, we didn't really know what the story was. I mean, there were all these different reports on where he could go, who would get drafted ahead of him. Um, so, you know, for the Bears to be able to get him regardless of, of where it was. Um, but, you know, I think 11 
to be able to get him at 11 is is certainly i think i would certainly qualify as a steal considering the upside he has so yeah kudos to the bears for that move um and yeah the tevin jenkins selection i mean that's that's another great move i give that an a plus really considering on where it was in the draft at 39 um and another another trade was made by pace to be able to um make this selection and get jenkins who like you said was a guy with a first round grade and uh, Jenkins is a beast. I mean, he's a guy who should be expected to start right away, obviously with the Bears um, cutting Leno up front, uh, moving on from Charles Leno after he's been there obviously a while is their starting left tackle. Um, Jenkins is a guy who should be able to fill a starting role on the offensive line right away. And that's that's a great pick. And then you mentioned Daz Newsom. Obviously, yeah, I'm familiar with him since he's a Tar Heel. And, uh, yeah, great playmaker. Um, so that's a steal. Uh, that's certainly a steal. I mean, you know, steals were arguably the, the theme of the draft for getting steals was the theme of the draft for the Bears. Um, they also got uh, Larry – I believe Borom is how you pronounce it. Borom is from Missouri. Missouri yeah. Say that again. I think his last name is Borom. Borom, yeah. Um, There's yeah, a good chance that he for, can tackle the guard. Yeah, I mean, but another, you know, another offensive lineman uh, with with a lot of upside, big dude, good in, intangibles out of Missouri. Getting him in the fifth round, that was a good pick. Uh, yeah, I mean, just lots of good picks. Khalil Herbert, Virginia Tech running back in sixth round. Thomas Graham Jr., cornerback from Oregon, um, another sixth round pick. And then uh, Tonga, Kyrie Tonga, defensive tackle from BYU to close it out for the Bears in the seventh round. So, yeah, a, a good draft for them, um, a good draft for Pace. You know, obviously how he fared in this draft is something that could really factor into his job security moving forward. And um, I, I would say he, I would give him two thumbs up for that draft for sure. And I'm going to touch, go back to something you talked about briefly for a second where Andy Dalton was named the starting quarterback and yet they still got Justin Fields, who a lot of people uh, view as the – is the second best quarterback in the draft behind Trevor Lawrence and has a chance to be a franchise player. But the way that I look at this, and I'm going to ask you this too, at what point do you see Justin Fields, I guess, taking over the starting role or earning the starting role? Is it a situation similar to when Russell Wilson was drafted by the Seahawks where the Seahawks went out and spent all that money to bring Matt Flynn in and then Russell Wilson just flat out outplayed Flynn during the preseason and earn the job, or do you think it's going to be similar to the Mike Glennon, Mitch Trubisky situation a couple of years ago where Glennon started the first four games, gets hurt, and then Trubisky enters in the second half against the Packers and takes over? Or do you think Dalton has to really struggle early on for Fields to take over? And I've kind of been on the fence about this. I do think Dalton is the starting quarterback. 
And if the Bears continue to win and continue to show that they're a playoff caliber team, I don't see any reason why they would sit Dalton at that point because they're winning. But I do think that if he struggles for the first five, six games, that you will see Justin Fields by week seven. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and, you know, Andy Dalton is is certainly obviously a proven quarterback, and I think he's still good enough to, um, you know, win some games and potentially lead a team, a good team to the playoffs. Um, you know, with Fields, I mean, there's certainly some work to be done there. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, the, obviously the big storyline heading into the draft was why he fell, his draft stock fell. And, you know, I think there are a combination of factors there that you may have to consider, um, you know, I mean, including his, his performance this past season, Ohio State was a bit underwhelming, but, you know, and clearly scouts had some intangible uh, things with him that, that caused him to drop below um, Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. Um, but, you know, with that being said, I don't necessarily think he's going to come in and, and be ready to start in training camp. I mean, he could blow them away in training camp in the preseason, earn the starting job heading into week one. Um, but, you know, I, I think the safe – assumption here is that Dalton will start out the season as a starter and, you know, might not be given too too much rope in terms of, you know, too much leeway in terms of, of the kind of mistakes he'll be able to make before he's benched and Fields is inserted in as the starter. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that, you know – that it should be assumed that this will be Andy Dalton's year. Cause I mean, it's, you know, it's like Andy Dalton's try, you know, this will be kind of like his second chance and maybe his last chance at, you know, really proving that he's a true starting quarterback and that he can still serve as an effective starting quarterback, obviously filled in as the, um, starter for the Cowboys this past season after Dak Prescott got injured. Um, but this is really his opportunity to be a true starter and lead an offense. And, you know, if he does well, maybe get a, a good contract and rejuvenate his career, you know, a la Ryan Tannehill, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously he led the Bengals to the playoffs several times. Um, I think he's capable of, of being an effective starter for this team and you know and fields will obviously learn under him and we'll have to see what the bears do with nick Foles. but you know if if two proven veteran quarterbacks with playoff experience and in Foles' case of you know a super bowl victory under his belt if they're there for fields to learn under that would be great for fields and obviously it should be assumed that the offense will be his um in 2022 but you know this is just a move with tremendous upside and we'll have to see how much playing time he ends up getting this year if you know very much at all um for what it's worth dalton throughout his career has been a pretty durable quarterback doesn't really get hurt much so um can't necessarily 
um, you know, bank on him getting banged up at any point. Um, but yeah, we'll just, we'll have to see how it goes. But, uh, certainly, I mean, Fields is obviously the quarterback of the future, I would imagine, barring some crazy good season from Dalton that nobody is, is expecting. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's safe to assume that it's Fields' job in the future, but for now, Dalton will be the true starter uh, heading into training camp and likely beyond. Yeah, and I, I want to kind of touch on the rest of the NFC North for a couple minutes and just kind of look at how the rest of the NFC North played out in terms of the draft. And I'll start with the Detroit Lions here. We knew coming into the draft that the Lions were going to have a lot of holes to fill. And you look at the press conference that Dan Campbell had and just the mindset that he had going into that press conference, and you can see that early on the draft picks they made definitely fit that press conference that he was talking about where he was going to bite your kneecaps off and continue fighting because they go and get the best offensive tackle in the draft and Penny Sawall at number seven, which a lot of people felt that he was going to be a top five pick where they figured the Cincinnati Bengals would take him at five to protect, to protect the Burroughs, but he fell to them at number seven. So that's definitely going to be a nice anchor to protect Jared Goff out there in Detroit. They got Levi, I can't even pronounce the guy's last name, and he's a defensive tackle. Um, Levi on Rizerki out of, out of California. And then they got another defensive tackle in their first three rounds. So obviously Dan Campbell was definitely focusing on the trenches, focusing on getting more physical like his press camp conference said because that has been – a big issue for the Detroit Lions, especially the last couple of years, just because they haven't been as physical. They haven't been able to dominate the game in the trenches. Then you got to take a look at the Green Bay Packers. Obviously, they stole the draft headlines, not in the way they would want to steal the draft headlines because the Aaron Rodgers drama continues to be drama, 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 and it's getting worse by the day. So we're going to see how that plays out. But, once again, you have a chance to make your all-pro quarterback happy and do something for him in the first round, and they drafted another cornerback in Eric Stokes, which I understood the fit because Kevin King's in the final year of his contract, but when you had all that, all the issues surrounding Aaron Rodgers and all the questions surrounding him, I don't know why you would add to the defensive side of the ball when that's not what he wanted. But I'm going to touch on this player really quick, and I'll let you fill the listeners in on him just because I know you're very familiar with him. But with the 85th pick in the draft, the Packers took Amari Rodgers out of Clemson, who I think is going to be one of the sneakier picks in this draft, and I think he could end up being one of the better picks in this draft because I do not think he was a third-round talent. I had him as an early early to mid-second-round talent just because of how versatile he is. He's a lot like what Randall Cobb brought to the table in Aaron Rodgers' earlier years, and obviously without knowing if Rodgers is coming back, we at least at this point have to pencil him in that he is coming back. But just what are your thoughts on the Amari Rodgers pick to the Packers and kind of what he brings to the table being that he's a Clemson guy? I uh, love the pick, and yeah, I mean, arguably a steal where they got him. You know, he 
had a, an amazing career at Clemson, um, helped him win a national championship, you know, came back from an ACL tear that he suffered in spring ball um, and, and came back from it in like six months, recovered from surgery and was back in action. So he's, yeah, he's a really hard worker, very versatile, um, you know, more than just your typical kind of undersized slot receiver. He's got great hands, run, runs great routes, um, just a savvy player. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, get him at 85th overall. That's arguably, arguably a steal, and we could have the Rodgers-to-Rodgers connection if, if uh, A-Rod is still around. Um well, they're both technically A-Rod, I guess. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, of course, who I'm referring to. But, yeah, I mean, that that's a good pick. And, you know, of course, he was part of plenty of winning at Clemson. And I'm sure the Packers are hoping he'll bring that winning pedigree um, into, into their franchise. And, of course, he got to catch passes thrown by Trevor Lawrence. And, um, you know, that – uh and also Kelly Bryant for what it's worth and um you know the uh the the that's an awesome quarterback you got to work with and now I know he's hoping he'll get to work with another awesome quarterback um and Aaron Rodgers so yeah I mean that's the biggest storyline of course in football right now is that situation um but you know, hopefully Aaron Rodgers is at least happy with the fact that Amari Rodgers is now a Packer because, yeah, I mean, you know, that takes that might could take some pressure off of uh, Devontae Adams, um, who's just uh, unbelievable this past season. I mean, Mr. Do Everything, really. Um, you know, they the, the Packers seem to have like a lot of tall – you know, lanky kind of downfield threat type of guys. Um, and Rogers, of course, is really, he's not necessarily like that. He's fast. He's undersized. He's more of an over the middle type of guy, but um, yeah, he's versatile and he's, he's a dude with all the intangibles he has and his speed and his great hands. I mean, he's a guy who could easily, have the career of, you know, an Emmanuel Sanders and playing this league for playing the league for a decade or so, if not more. So, um, yeah, that's a good pick for the Packers. And then last thing we'll touch on in the NFC North is the Minnesota Vikings, who I think had just as good of a draft as the Bears, possibly even a little better depending on how you look at it. Cause I know, I think, NFL Network had the Bears with the best draft pick, and then CBS Sports had the Vikings, who had the best overall draft class. So it kind of just depends on what outlet you're watching. But Rick Spielman did what he usually does. He had a, he had the 14th pick in the first round, and he, de- he decided to trade back and acquire more picks. But in the process, he ends up trading back to number 23, and the Vikings get – Christian Darisaw, who is a very good offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. Uh, it's a very good pick for them at number 23 because obviously their biggest problem is offensive line. So protecting Kirk Cousins and doing what they can to open up the running game for Delvin Cook is going to be huge. Go down to uh, round three and they got another offensive lineman in Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State, which 
is another steal pick just because he was viewed as somebody that could go in the second round and he fell. They added to the defense by getting Patrick Jones the second out of Pittsburgh to pair him with Daniil Hunter. Another ACC guy in the third round was Chaz Surratt, who a lot of people compare him to Eric Wilson and Eric Kendrick, so that gives Minnesota some good linebacker depth. And then the most surprising pick, in my opinion, and since I'm a Viking fan, I wasn't surprised with the pick because this is who I wanted the Vikings to draft from the beginning was Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M. And I don't know how you feel about him, but he is one of those prospects to me that a lot of people have overlooked. He's been getting better every single year of school. He's improved every single year that he's been in college. And he's put up the most touchdowns in SEC history, tying him with Tim Tebow over the last four years. He's a very underrated prospect who I think is going to be the backup to Cousins this year. And given that Cousins is making $41 million next year, I think he's going to be the starter in Minnesota next year. And if the offensive line continues to get better, if Delvin Cook and Justin Jefferson and those guys continue to do what they do, Kellen Mond is going to be an interesting pick for Minnesota because he's exactly the opposite of Kirk Cousins, but he's going to have plenty of things to work with next year. Yeah, that's a great pick. Of course, we talked about Mond potentially going to the Bears. Um, And, I mean, I can imagine if Pace – wasn't able to trade up to draft fields. Mine would have been high on his list. But, yeah, it's a good pick. I mean, obviously this is, you know, you can imagine it's it's safe to say this is a make-or-break year for Cousins in Minnesota. Um, and, yeah, mine could potentially be waiting in the wings to take over that starting job. So, yeah, he had a, a tremendous career. At Texas A&M, put up great numbers. He's got a heck of an arm, uh, a really great athlete. Um, you know, uh, just a great playmaker, great field general, and um, yeah, that that was a great pick as well. Um, yeah, so some pretty good picks for for the um, pretty good drafting done in the NFC North. And, yeah, that's another example. That was that was a good pick. And the last thing we'll touch on here for football is we got to get into college football and the FCS playoffs where Southern Illinois nearly pulled off the biggest upset of the FCS playoffs thus far. They took South Dakota State basically to the ropes the entire game. They had them. In the first half, they had them for part of the second half, and then South Dakota State showed why they were the number one overall seed in the fourth quarter. But you got to give this to Lukey's a ton of credit. Nobody gave them a shot last week, and they came out and won. Nobody gave them a shot this week, and they were literally 30 seconds away, maybe one minute away from winning. Yeah, that was impressive. Um, you know, and they had a – uh, somewhat commanding lead at, at one point. So kind of the opposite from their first playoff game when they had to come from behind to beat Weber State. Um, South Dakota State had to come from behind to stay alive and get past the Saluki. So, um, yeah, I mean, nearly coming out with a what would have been a huge upset, obviously, but that's an impressive – 
impressive playoff performance. I mean, there have only been a couple games that have um, gone the way of the road team, and uh, Southern Illinois has uh, one of those games. Um, their first round win over Weber State, and then you have to nearly win on the road uh, over the top-seeded Jackrabbits. Um, yeah, that, that's that's certainly impressive. So kudos to them. Um, a shame for their sake that they came up short. Uh, yeah, I mean, they – let's see, I'm looking – you know, it led 20-7 to seven late in the second quarter. Um, actually went up 20 to seven with 22 seconds left in the second quarter. And then South Dakota state, uh, quickly got in a field goal range and, and added a field goal heading into the half. And then, um, we're able to take a 31 to 20 lead in the fourth quarter. Um, but then Southern Illinois didn't go away quietly, adding a touchdown late. Uh, with a failed two-point conversion to, to make it a five-point difference. And, um, yeah, just just coming up short. Uh, you know, they got a, a, an interception. Um, or, excuse me, they, they got – they forced a punt late in the game and then drove down somewhat deep into South Dakota State territory and, and got picked off. And that was, that was the ball game. But, yeah, that would have been a huge upset. But – uh, still a great playoff performance by the Salukis. Yeah, two players that I was very impressed with in that Southern Illinois game was obviously receiver Landon Lenore, who, as the game went on, really emerged into a deep ball threat. Well, that South Dakota State had no idea what to do with him just because they don't see too many teams that pass the way Southern Illinois does. But just the way that Stone Labanowitz played, too, I understand that he did have two interceptions in the game, but he still found a way to bounce back from those two interceptions, and he threw for almost 250 yards. But even if you look at that final interception on that last drive, had he thrown that ball about a foot taller, that's a touchdown for Southern Illinois instead of getting intercepted. So I was very impressed with how Labanowitz played and just the way that he bounced back from those interceptions and just – Landon Lenore looks like one of those mid-major FCS-type receivers that could enter the draft in the future and possibly be one of those late-round pickups. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, Southern Illinois, I mean, of course, they had uh, – I mean, they're mostly known for their basketball program, had some pretty great years in the 2000s. Um, but, yeah, maybe they're they're looking to establish a powerhouse football program. So kudos to them for their playoff performance. And now we'll head over to Major League Baseball for a little bit here where the Chicago Cubs uh, decided that they wanted to play winning baseball this week and came away with a sweep against the Los Angeles Dodgers, which I don't think anybody saw coming, especially when you had to go through Kershaw, Bueller, and Bauer in that series. You had to go through a doubleheader on Tuesday. Arietta got put on the IL, Nico Horner got put on the IL. Pretty much everything indicated that it was going to be a very long series for the Cubs, and here they are sweeping the Dodgers, and all of a sudden they're starting to turn the corner again like they did kind of towards the end of April there. I've been very impressed with Elzelai, especially in the starting rotation as 
I hate to say it, his ERA is still above a four, but that's mainly because of his first couple starts. But Alzole is now looking like the best starter in that rotation. He's looking like one that is certainly proving that he deserves to be considered for the ace the ace spot in that rotation next year when some of these guys leave. Hendricks looks like the Hendricks of old after his start on Tuesday, but now you got a guy like Keegan Thompson who made his major league debut on Sunday in relief and then made his first start on Tuesday night. Yes, I, he only went three and two-third innings in that start, but to go through a Dodger lineup the way that Dodger lineup is and to not allow a run to the Dodgers in your first major league start, you got to give Thompson some credit there. Now you have him penciled in with Elzelay. You can see that the Cubs do have pitching help on the way and that a lot of it is going to be here sooner than fans think. Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of flabbergasted by the sweep. Um, you know, of course, two walk-offs and extra innings. Uh, I mean, obviously one of them was um, a short and doubleheader game. But, yeah, I mean, and then, that, of course, that came after they won in dominant fashion in game one of the series. Um, I mean, to get four runs off Kershaw in the first inning, which he had only ever happened once before in his career, uh, you know, and then to, to win two nail biters when, I mean, the odds were kind of stacked against them at certain points points of the game and yeah I mean the big thing is is the fact that they you know had to run the gauntlet of the three Dodger aces I mean it's amazing and and like you point I mean having to give Thompson a spot start and give him an opportunity um and but it worked out I mean he pitched well and um yeah I mean that was just an impressive starting pitching performance and, I mean, also, like you mentioned, the injuries. Of course, we had the collision over the weekend and the Red Series, which is also was also a pretty wild series. I, I, I have to say the Cubs, have <laughs> they've already had taken part in a lot of wild games. We're just a little over a month then. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you had the collision between Happ and Horner and obviously, um, you know, looked – really bad for Hab, but I guess it was evidently worse for Horner, whose forearm hit Hap's head, face, whatever, bloodied his nose. Um, but now Horner's the one on the IL, which is really unfortunate because he was, you know, he was he was hot at the time. He was he was really hitting the ball well. Um but yeah, I mean hopefully Hap will be back in the lineup uh for the weekend series. Um, but yeah, I mean, with those injuries and, you know, I mean, Matt Duffy continues to be an X factor. Mariznick continues to Jake Mariznick continues to come up with big hits. Um, I mean, what can you say about old big Riz? I mean, Anthony Rizzo is supposed to get the night off, ends up having to come in. Um, you know, as a pinch hitter late in the game, uh, take takes over at first in the tenth inning, ends up with the uh with the walk off single. I mean, you had the Jock Peterson thinking he hit a walk off home run against his old team, only to embarrass himself after a bat flip on a sacrifice fly, but. He, he came up with some big plays, you know. I mean, one thing that's for certain is the Cubs took advantage of some silly shifts 
that that the Dodgers uh, infield infield did in that series, um, including Rizzo smacking it to the left side of the infield to to walk it off last night um, Wednesday night. So. Yeah, I mean, that was just, uh, you know, I mean, I have to say probably one of the more immaculate, stunning sweeps that the Cubs have pulled off in recent years. I mean, I don't think anybody – I mean, I know the Dodgers have been struggling mightily these past few weeks, but I don't think that um, it was expected that the Cubs were – we're going to pull off a three-game sweep in that one. But, you know, there was a rain out on Monday, and then they played very well in the doubleheader and were able to pull out the win in game three and, and get it done. So, yeah, I mean, it's you know, that's potentially a huge series. It can really help spark this team. Um, of course, they had the disappointing loss on Sunday against the Reds to close out that series in a 13-12 to just absolute barn burner, 10 combined home runs, 30 combined hits. Uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't let that keep them down and, um, you know, pulled off a three-game sweep of the defending champs. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that, especially now that they have probably the worst team in baseball coming to town for three games in the Pirates. So, um I'm sure they'll be looking for to make it two sweeps in a row. I'm glad you brought up. I'm glad you brought that pirate series up, and uh, what I kind of said from when they actually swept the Dodgers in the doubleheader that this could be one of those season-changing series. And sometimes people always say like it's a game where it's only one game that can alter a season. But given what the Cubs had to face, and given what the Cubs had to go through in this series this is one of those series that I think they can look back and be like this is where our season changed and you look at who they have coming up this weekend they have three games with the Pirates then they have two games with the Indians and then three games with the Tigers I'm not saying they're going to win all eight of these games but realistically their next eight games are all very winnable especially if they can avoid Shane Bieber in Cleveland so this is kind of one of those stretches where the Cubs can get back on track, they can get their offense going, and they can kind of set themselves up to kind of be right in the thick of things heading into June. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, the first month or so, like we've, like I've said before on here, I mean, the first month or so, you just kind of got to take it with a grain of salt in a full-length season and, and you know, just trust that a team with enough talent will turn things around and, um, you know, the Cubs can can certainly do that. I mean, there's there's still plenty of, of baseball to go, obviously. But um, and I mean, I, I can't lie. I wouldn't be shocked if they got beat two out of three by the Pirates just because I don't know. They've, uh, this team's this Cubs team's been rather unpredictable so far this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, that that sweep of the Dodgers really is something that could turn the whole season around because I mean the odds were stacked against them uh, you know it's at certain points in the two walk-off wins um, you know you had Javi hitting the two out two run game tying homer and extras um, on Tuesday night and then on Wednesday night you have you know after two strikeouts in the bottom of the 11th 
Um, Duffy coming through with the the clutch um, RBI base knock, and then you know from there uh, Clevenger who um, gave up both walk off hits uh, on the mound for the Dodgers. He sort of unraveled, and and Rizzo. Um, you know, took advantage with the walk-off hit and seemingly, uh, seemingly redeemed himself for a, a defensive play that uh, I think certain commentators, at least on ESPN, might have called him out for in the top of the eleventh. But it was actually the right play where he didn't. Where I'm, I'm sure he's, you know, I'm talking about when. Um, yeah, he didn't touch first base on a play, and he just threw to second for the out. Right, yeah, because I mean, because if he touched first, then the force play is no longer intact, and then Muncy, you know, scoring from third would obviously have counted. So, if anything, it was Hobby's fault for not quickly throwing it back to him. But, um, yeah, that was a smart play. But, you know, he might have look foolish to some there even though it was actually heads up play and but then he uh comes through in the clutch with the walk off so um yeah i mean that's you know just two thrilling wins um with plenty in two action-packed games and uh we'll just have to see if if you know that helps really de- you know, jumpstart this team and it allows them to consistently win. I mean, obviously, Chris Bryan is is back to MVP form, so he's really leading the charge right now. And, um, you know, if he continues to hit the ball well and leads the way, I mean, you know, who knows? This, this team could uh, really turn things around and, you know, establish itself as a true contender to win the NL Central again. And I'm going to bring up two names, and I know you brought up you brought them up already, but Matt Duffy and Jake Marisnik are starting to look like very smart pickups by Jed Hoyer. And I know when the signings were made, a lot of people weren't expecting much out of them. Matt Duffy is exactly what this team needs, especially on offense, just because he's such a high contact hitter that doesn't strike out much. He takes his walks, but he puts the ball in play 91% of the time, and that's something this offense lacks. And I know Nico Horner is going to be back hopefully within a week. So when that happens, you're going to have guys like David Bodie and Eric Sogar are going to start losing playing time just because Horner is going to go to second. And at this point, I'm putting Matt Duffy in the lineup as much as possible just because – He's earned it. He earned it by being a non-roster invitee. He earned it by his performance in spring, and he's continuing to earn it versus David Bodie's really been struggling this year. So I would give Duffy more reps at third over Bodie. The one name I want to talk about is Marisnik, and from what I've seen from him so far is he is exactly everything the Cubs expected Albert Elmora to be but he's actually showing it on the field and he's actually showing that he actually can hit right-handed pitchers as opposed to just being known as a guy that hits lefties. I understand that Ian Happ is their center fielder and I understand that the Cubs have a lot invested in him, but Ian Happ has not swung the bat well all season. He started to show signs of life in that final game against Cincinnati before getting hurt. But at this point, 
can you even afford to take Marisnik out of the lineup considering how hot he's been? And if you do that, where does that put this team? Because you're not going to sit Hayward consistently. You're not going to sit Peterson consistently. It seems like right now, if I'm David Ross right now, Marisnik has done enough where he should be the starting center fielder going forward right now. Yeah, I mean, it is a conundrum, and I've, I've been thinking about it too. You know, it's the never-ending, you know, what to do with Ian Happ question. Um, you know, it was a fixture of late in Joe Madden's managerial tenure in Chicago uh, with his insistence on continuing to kind of, you know, platoon Happ and Almora, switch him off day after day, even when Happ was struggling. And, yeah, I mean, Hap's clearly been the weak link weak link of all the, you know, uh, core guys in that, that starting lineup this year. He's been the one who hasn't really provided much of anything. I mean, like you said, he in the, you know, home run fest in the game he got hurt, he had some big hits. Of course, had a big home run in that one. But, I mean, the ball was flying out that day and everybody seemed to be hitting the ball. So, uh, wouldn't necessarily put too much stock in that, but yeah, he's he's really struggled this year offensively. Obviously, um, Marisnik's been a spark plug. Uh, just as a side note, I mean, I have to give praise to Jed Hoyer. Um, I mean, I have to say, I don't think that I don't think that Theo Epstein made. <laughs> I'm not sure he made you know any any role player signings his last few years with the Cubs that stacked up to. Um, you know, Duffy and Marisnik and, and how they've done so far. So uh, good on Hoyer for giving those guys a shot. And obviously, you know, Duffy, I mean, making the team and really earning his keep um, with the odds maybe stacked against him. And he's been just uh, the ultimate spark plug. But, yeah, I mean, as for Marisnik and what to do in the outfield – I don't know. I mean, it's, it is a tough question. You know, it's, it would be hard to take playing time away from him right now. Um, and, you know, that leads to kind of another question is what to do with Chris Bryant, um, because I think it's becoming increasingly clear that, you know, they're not the Cubs. David Ross might not be too crazy about Bryant continuing to play third. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's it's a wear and tear you know, situation there. Maybe they like him better in the outfield. I mean, I think it has to do with Matt Duffy, though, too, just because. Yeah, I guess. Matt Duffy's playing so well. He's, I mean, he's made his first career start in left field the other day. But Matt Duffy's primarily played first base, right. second base, and third base, where he's not going to consistently start over Anthony Rizzo. He's not going to start over Nico Horner. And Chris Bryant's so versatile that he can move around. So, given how Duffy's played, that's why I think we've seen Bryant more in the outfield. And like you were saying, the Cubs are going to have an issue here because Hayward is struggling mightily. But given his contract, you have to hold on to him. Ian Happ is struggling. And Jock Peterson has struggled. But it seems like since he's come back from his wrist injury that he's got his timing down a little bit more and he's starting to catch up to some of the pitches that he wasn't catching up to earlier this season. So somebody's going to be the odd man out in the outfield. And I think it's going to be Ian Happ just because of the contract with Peterson, the contract with Hayward, knowing that Brian can play all three outfield positions. But up until 
Duffy cools down, I'm not going to be shocked to see Duffy continue to play at third. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, they, they got a lot of dudes. They got a lot of dudes. And, you know, and Hap, like I said, I mean, it's, it's been the weak link. And, yeah, with Hayward, I mean, is obviously he's great of a defensive player he is in, in right field. I mean, you can't really – you can't really afford to take him out of the lineup. You know, he's like one of the elder statesmen of that team. Um, and he's he's certainly been more clutch at the plate this year than Hap. I mean, Hap's – yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, if the struggles continue, um, take him out. And see, with Peterson, we'll have to see how that goes too because, I mean, it's not like he's been great this season. Of course, he came up with some – these past few games, he came up with some big hits. But, I mean, that's against the team he's played with for, you know, the past seven seasons. So, some pitching he was familiar with. Um, so, we'll have to see how he does uh, these next couple series, see if he can really get his feet under him and, and continue hitting well. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and what to do with Brian. I mean, where do they want to keep – does Ross want to keep using him? in left field or maybe even center field or right field from time to time and just, you know, give uh, Bodie more chances to start at the hot corner. Because the thing about Bodie is, I mean, he's been tremendous defensively this season. I'm really impressed on the defensive side of the side of things on defensive end. And, and so, you know, I mean, he's obviously a, a great defensive third baseman, but where do you want – where do you want to put Duffy? I mean, you got to put Horner back in there when he's healthy again because he, he was so hot prior to his injury. Um, and, I mean, obviously you can't take out Javi for too long. So, yeah, it's a quandary. It really is. Um, and I think the easiest thing to say is to just bench Hap and to start him, you know, every three or four games and just give Mariznick the opportunity to really – uh, be the be the starter out there in center field, I guess. I mean, I, I you know, it's 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 tough. It's just a tough. It seems like this has been a situation they've dealt with a lot in recent seasons. It's just having this mixture of guys where you can play a bunch of dudes at different positions, but never really have like a set, a true starting lineup. Um, and I guess maybe this will be another element of of the you know, unfolds this season. And not only is this going to bring up a conundrum for the rest of this season, but now you have to look beyond that into next season where everyone was telling, everyone was saying trade Chris Bryant the last couple of years. And I'm going to put myself in that category also, because I was saying that they should have traded him a couple of years ago while his value was super high, but all of a sudden now he's playing at that MVP level again, which makes you wonder was he even healthy the past couple of years at any point? Because the way he looks right now, he looks like a completely different player than he showed in 2020 and 2019 and everything. And if he continues to play the way he's played the first month plus, well, you can, you can bet that the Cubs are going to try to extend him just because he's proving that he still has that MVP, MVP form in him. Yeah. Guys like Javi Baez who reportedly turned down 180, $190 million deal. And, about three weeks ago, everyone was ready to just ship him off when he was hitting a 175. Well, average aside, he's still hitting a 245. But if you look at his last 14 games, he's actually hitting a 292 over his last 14 mm -hmm. games. 
He has eight home runs, but he leads the team with 24 RBIs, so it's not like he isn't producing at all. And Anthony Rizzo's off to his typical slow April start, but once the calendar turns to May, that's when he starts to heat up, which he's doing that already. And now you have a situation where you look at the three guys that you had to make a decision with on who you were going to extend. Now that decision is becoming harder and harder by the day because everybody's starting to look like the players that people expected them to look like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's speaking of elements that will unfold this season. I mean, that's, that's a certain, certainly another element that will unfold is um, what to do with Chris Bryant. You know, you have to wonder what his willingness to sign an extension with the Cubs would be, Um, you know, and, and that's, I mean that, you know, we're talking about something that might be the biggest, uh, underlying storyline regarding the Cubs in June and July uh, is what Jed Hoyer will choose to do with Chris Bryant. And you have to imagine a lot of it will um, revolve around where the Cubs are in the standings at that point in time. You know, how, I mean, specifically how they do this month, Um, you know, and, and what they can establish themselves as a contender or a pretender. But, yeah, I mean, this, you know, so many contract situations. I mean, you also have to throw in Wilson Contreras into the mix. I mean, he's a guy who's mentioned in trade rumors all throughout the offseason. Um, and, you know, early in the year, I mean, obviously he was really the their hottest hitter or at least right up there with, with KB. Um, and, <clears throat> and recently came back from a – a leg injury of his that he suffered, but you know appears to be fine now. And um, yeah, I mean, just lots of of contract discussions and and trade discussions that'll come out of this. And um, yeah, I mean, Rizzo, you know, it'll certainly behoove the the Cubs if he can really, you know, heat up at the plate. I mean, he's a Florida boy, so he must not. He maybe he doesn't like the Chicago cold too much. Maybe that's why he's he's never played hit the ball particularly well in April. Um, but you know maybe his walk off single will, will get him going. Um, but yeah, I mean this, you know this is such a critical season for the future of the Cubs. I mean in so many different ways this could all shake out. Um, but you know you have to imagine that Bryant, and I mean you know, echoing what, what you spoke about, um, his injury history. I mean, yeah, he's certainly dealt with his fair share of injuries the past couple of years, um, that have really set him back. You know, I mean, obviously in the 2018 season, it was all about hobby and, um, his, his MVP candidacy, but, Chris Bryant toward the end of the season snuck up on hobby and arguably had just as great of, of numbers or just as great of a season when it was all said and done. And yeah, just these past couple of years hasn't been himself, uh, but now appears to be back in to MVP form. So um, we'll just have to see if that continues and, and um, see, you know, where the trade discussions or contract talks go with, with, regard to Bryant and then heading a couple miles south to the south side and I got to give the Chicago White Sox a 
ton of credit right now because they're sitting at 16 and 13, which is in a, basically in a three-way tie for first right now. Obviously, the Indians who – I mean, they're a, they're a surprising team, but they're not a surprising team because their starting pitching is so good that it's going to keep them in most games anyway. So to see them at 16 and 13 really isn't a surprise. Seeing the Royals at 16 and 13 and tied for first is a very big surprise because I think most people would have had them predicted to finish towards the bottom of the American League. And you have the Twins at 11 and 18, which I think are a big disappointment so far. But going back on the White Sox right now, they're 16 and 13, and they're getting it done with a lineup that is getting depleted by the minute. They already had Eloy Jimenez lost for the entire season. Tim Anderson was missing some time. Yon Mancata missed a couple games here and there. And now you have Luis Robert, who's going to be out the next four months, if not longer, with his injury. And it just seems like whenever the White Sox start to find their groove, an injury happens. And they've been fortunate enough where they've been able to make up for these losses in the short term. But I don't know how many more blows this this team can take before it gets to be too much. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, it's unfortunate. You know, it's, it's certainly been their biggest bugaboo so far, and I'm not sure that that's going to be something they can recover from is going without both Jimenez and Robert for the majority of the regular season. I mean, obviously it looks like Jimenez, good chance he'll, you know, he won't play at all this season after suffering a, a torn pec and, and spring training with Robert now. Um, dealing with this hip issue uh, that will keep him out three to four months. I mean, we have to, you know, consider the the possibility that um, he won't play at all the rest of the year, at least won't be uh, right. I mean, coming back from a torn hip flexor is, is certainly not certainly not going to be easy. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's – daunting i mean those are their two star sluggers in the outfield and of course robert was really a breakout star last year for this white Sox team and um yeah it's gonna be tough for tony larusa and his squad you know and i mean uh already had a gaffe where he didn't realize an extra inning rule regarding um not having to to put the pitcher on second base at the start of an inning and in extras, but um, so that that's been another unfortunate development in recent days. But yeah, I feel sorry for him and you know the start of his uh, his second go around with the White Sox, and obviously he has a lot to prove and a lot of doubters out there to prove wrong and. Yeah, just had to deal with so many injury issues to start the year. I mean, it's been really unfortunate. Uh, just hope for their sake that that'll things will calm down. I mean, obviously they won't have Jimenez or Robert anytime soon, but hopefully some of those other guys will get healthy and um, they'll actually be able to have a stable lineup. Exactly. Now we'll switch over to NBA for a couple minutes here. And the Chicago Bulls have really, really gone down the crap in the last couple months. I don't, I don't even have words for it because they were in such a good position about six, seven weeks ago when they made the trades that they made. And it seems like since they made these trades, like yes, they are they're going to be good trades for the future of this team. 
but it seems like after they made these trades, all the momentum and all the continuity that the team was playing with before the trades just went out the window. It seems like they don't know how to play together anymore like they did at the beginning of the year. And obviously not having Zach Levine the last two weeks hasn't helped. And they had Nikola Vucevic was out for two or three games with an abdomen injury, so that hasn't helped either. But it just seems like this team, it's pretty much the same roster minus a couple people. Vucevic has been added to the starting lineup. Markinen's gone from the starting lineup to the bench. And, like, Daniel Tice has been added to this team. So it's not like they changed the entire roster over. It just seems like since the trade deadline, this team has forgotten how to play the way they were playing at the beginning of the year that got them up to the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference at one point. And I've been very impressed with what Washington has done the past three weeks. And I've, I've said it myself that there was no way Washington was going to be able to play the kind of basketball they were playing, but they proved me wrong. Uh, Washington is definitely going to get that 10th and final seed in the Eastern Conference, and there's a shot that they could even get into the top eight because they are playing so well right now. But Bulls technically are mathematically still alive, but I think if they lose to Charlotte tonight and if they lose one more game after that, they're mathematically eliminated at that point. Zach Levine does return tonight, so there's that, but at this point, Chicago's, I think, more so playing for pride at this point, and I think they should just use these last couple weeks of the season here just to figure out how they want to play together as a team because most of this roster, if not this entire roster, at least the entire starting five, is going to be back next year. And Daniel Tice is going to be one of those players that the Bulls try to bring back given the, what they've seen out of him since he's been in Chicago. But the starting five that they're going to have on the floor tonight are most likely going to be the starting five that – return next year in playoffs or not, they need to use these next two weeks to figure out how they can play together because it has not been pretty since the trade deadline. Right, yeah. And, I mean, since we were last on air, they've lost four in a row, so obviously not ideal at all. Um, I mean, they're still in the hunt, only three and a half back of Washington for that final spot in the play-in round in the East. Um, And the Bulls have seven games left. Wizards have six games left. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're going to have to um, play together and, and look to finish on a high note. I mean, they got a lot of games jam-packed together here to close out the season. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, they're still in the hunt and just got to hope to get some help, uh, as in hope that Washington will experience a setback here down the stretch and just play as well as they can these last seven games and go out on a high note and potentially wind up in the playoffs. But, yeah, based on how they've been playing as of late, I mean, it doesn't look like that's really a a feasible outcome right now. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, really, they got the win on the road at Miami that we talked about last time, but then since then have dropped four straight, you know, including uh, two, you know, two on the ho- two at home, two on the road, um, all against good teams that are going to be in the playoffs in the East. But um, you know, Knicks, Bucks, Hawks, Sixers. But still, I mean, it's it's four straight losses when they could have afforded. They really needed to get at least you know one win, go one and three. Couldn't really afford to go zero oh and four, but. Um, 
yeah, I mean, you know, maybe with Levine coming back, they'll turn the corner. Yeah, because losing his 27 points per game was never going to be easy to overcome, but then you throw into the equation that Vucevic has been averaging 22, 23 points a game since coming to Chicago. Once he went down the last couple of games, you're basically losing 50 points of your offensive production, and I don't care how good of scores you have and how many options you have off the bench, overcoming 50 points a game against some of these teams they're playing was never going to be an easy feat. Yeah, exactly. Definitely not. But, you know, we'll see what they're made of here to close out the season. Exactly. And then you got the Chicago Blackhawks who pretty much – are in the same position the Chicago Bulls are at this point. The only difference is the Blackhawks have officially been eliminated from playoff contention after their 6-3 to loss to Carolina the other night. Uh, they are six points out of, of fifth in the division. They're ten points back in the playoff hunt with only three games left, so the most points they can make up at this point is six points, so they've come up short there. But they're also only five points ahead of last place Detroit and four points ahead of Columbus for seven. So if Chicago doesn't pick things up, they have a game with Carolina tonight, and then they finish off the season with Dallas, I believe. If they go winless the rest of the way, there's a shot that Chicago could end up in last place in the Central Division, which would be a real kick to the stomach, especially when you look at beginning of February, those first couple weeks. They were actually leading the Central Division at one point. And then they got into that stretch of games with Carolina and Tampa and Florida where they went from first place to fourth place. And it's just continued to go south since then. And if for some reason this team ends up falling down to seventh place or worse, last place in the division because Detroit's playing much better, how would you grade the season for the Blackhawks as a whole? And what do you think it would do to the team's confidence knowing that at one point they had the best record in the central division and, now they're on the outside looking in with the possibility of even further falling further behind. Yeah, I mean, right now I would just have to say it's kind of mediocre, I guess, like a C in terms of how I would grade it. Um, you know, they, they got – I mean, they haven't won since April 21st, which obviously is not ideal. And, you know, like the Bulls, since we were last on air – um, they've gone winless in four games. So, yeah, I mean, certainly limping to the finish line here, and it's a shame that they've already been eliminated from playoff contention, so just really playing for pride these last three games. But, yeah, I mean, all in all, it's looking like it could just be sort of a mediocre season. Um, but, you know, it's one where they still might have arguably exceeded expectations. Um, considering this was such a viewed as really a rebuilding year and um, you know all the all the injury slash medical stuff they've had to deal with from Jonathan Taze to um, you know they had um, a, a recent retirement veteran uh, forward Andrew Shaw, who's, you know, suffered several concussions and doctors recommended he retire. So he retired here recently. So that's another, you know, storyline, another weight, a burden that they've had to deal with here late in the season is because obviously I'm sure that really bummed out everybody in the locker room. But, 
yeah, I mean, still, you know, it's it's tough to see the way they've they've fallen apart here, uh, you know, and down the stretch with with a chance to make the playoffs. Um, yeah, it's it's been a a bummer to see, but you know, I mean, they're in a tough division and in these makeshift divisions this year, they're in the tough one, and they're a young team, so. Uh, yeah, I still have plenty to look forward to heading into next season, obviously. Yeah, and the good thing about these makeshift divisions, well, I shouldn't say that they're going to be for sure thrown out the window, but the current format that they went with this year was a one-year thing, so they don't have to worry about seeing Tampa Bay, Carolina, Florida, and Nashville as many times as they have this year. But with Seattle coming into the league next year, it's going to be a 32-team league. So now the question is, do you go with eight four-team divisions like the NFL does, or do you keep things the way they are now with the four eight-team divisions? And if that's the case, realistically, there is a chance that this central division could remain intact if they wanted to keep everything the way it was. But if Canada decides they will open their borders and kind of lay back on the travel restrictions that they put in place, I think next year you're looking at Chicago being put in a division with Detroit, Minnesota, Columbus, Nashville, St. Louis, Toronto, and then kind of two other teams in that central region just because it wouldn't make sense to put them with the Florida teams again because you can put the Florida teams with Dallas and a couple other teams down south and you're not going to throw them out in the California area. So I think Chicago is going to be in a tough division next year again. It's just not going to be as tough as this year. But the one thing they can take away from everything they've gone through this year is Alex the Brincat is the real deal. And he not only leads the team in goals with 28, but he could be the first 30-goal 30 goal, 30 goal scorer since Patrick Kane did that a couple of years ago. And this is a 56-game shortened season. So realistically, he was on pace to score over – 40 goals had this been a regular 82 game set. Jonathan Taves should be back next year. Obviously we don't know his condition or anything like that, but if you're going into next season with a front line of Kane, Taves, and Debrinket, the Blackhawks have to like their chances to be a lot offensively because that is the one struggle they've had this year is consistently scoring goals. You had Taves back to that mix with the way Debrinket's played and the way Patrick Kane's played. Now you do have a front line that is capable of scoring three to four goals on the night, just like Tampa Bay and Carolina and some of those other teams. Yeah, for sure. And and the cat is he's nicknamed his yeah, really made a name for himself this year. Um only twenty three years old, so um plenty to look forward to with him. Uh yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, they got plenty of upside heading into next season. It's still, you know, I think with all things considered, they still have exceeded expectations. I just can't really give them much more than a C. I mean, just because of where they're going to end up in the standings, um, especially how they played down the stretch. But, um, you know, I mean, this wasn't supposed to be a season where they were highly competitive. I mean, they made that clear with the uh, the front office's approach in the offseason and not bringing back Cordy Crawford, who obviously ended up going to the Devils and then retiring abruptly before the season started. But, you know, and of course Taves' medical issue that's kept him out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with all that being said, you know, they got 
they have a pretty bright future um, these these next few years as they look to transition to I guess a new era of Blackhawks hockey and um, yeah I mean no shame in missing the playoffs this year for them. I will agree with you that they exceeded expectations, but at the same time, I don't know how to word it without sounding negative. At the same time, I think they didn't meet the expectations just because of how they started. And they exceeded expectations based on how they played those first three weeks of the season. Once they got to that level, I think they – once they got to that level, I think they started to play the way that most people expected them to play this year, if that makes sense. But given the way they started, I think a lot of people are still going to view this as a disappointing season because they were there. They were right there with the best teams in the Central. They were right there playing better than a lot of the teams in the Central, not named Tampa Bay. And if it wasn't for Tampa Bay going 7-1 and one against the Blackhawks this year, we might be having a different conversation because Tampa Bay single-handedly eliminated Chicago from the playoffs back in March when they had that six-game stretch, winning five of those six games. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, having a tough division has certainly not made things easy. Um, you know, and it's just been sort of an odd season. I mean, with this this division makeup and this team's – playing each other game after game after game after game. So, you know, I mean, it's been tough for the Blackhawks. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, certainly haven't closed out the season the way uh, it looked like they would, considering how they were playing at one point this season. But, you know, it is what it is. And I just think at the end of the day, they weren't talented enough to – finish in the top four of that division. And the funny thing is, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how the Blackhawks maybe should be leaning more toward Malcolm Stuman over Kevin Lankin and his playoff and big game experience, which they were doing for a time. But now all of a sudden you're seeing Colin D'Elia get a couple starts in goal. And I know he had a start very early in the season and got lit up by Tampa Bay. And that was really the only time he's played until the last couple of games. And he looked very good against Carolina Tuesday or Monday night in relief of Subban. And then kind of struggled a little bit on Tuesday in his last game where he gave up four goals on 26 shots. But that's another young face to keep an eye on because Subban, I believe, is only signed to a one-year contract. So he's going to be most likely hitting the market next year trying to find work. And then you're going to have 25-year-old Lincoln in as your primary goalie with three-year-old Galila most likely ready to come in as your backup goalie. So I think the last couple of games have been very crucial to his development as a player, even though they haven't gone as well as he's hoped. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But, you know, still lots to look forward to. Lots of youth and, um, you know, just lots of young talent that, that bode well. Uh, bodes well for the future of this franchise. And then last topic of the day today is going to be the Chicago Fire. And there's really not much you can say about the Chicago Fire. And it's, it is starting to become an anomaly and just a mystery as to why this team struggles the way they struggle on the road. And 
we've talked about this in shows in the past where they missed the playoffs by two points last year. And a big reason for that was their road struggles. If you go back to when Vano Panovic was here before Raphael Wicke, this team has one of the five best records in soccer when it comes to playing at home since 2017. The problem is they have the worst record in all of Major League Soccer on the road, and they've won a total of six games on the road the past four years, and they've only earned points in nine games on the road the past four years. And if you want to make the playoffs, that's simply not going to get it done. They were facing a New York Red Bulls team this past weekend that was winless on the season and really was not playing that great of soccer. And then they go into New York and lose 2 nothing, and all of a sudden the Red Bulls look like the Red Bulls of old where they were constantly making the playoffs. And at this point, I really don't know what the Chicago Fire need to do to win on the road because when they, when they play at home, they play very well. But the moment they leave Soldier Field or the moment they left Toyota Park, it's a completely different team on the road. And it's just so disappointing to watch just because you know they have the talent to be better than that. It's just that they can't put it together away from home. Right, yeah, you know, and that's so key is is being able to pick up points uh, in the standings on the road, and yeah, I mean a two, uh, certainly not ideal, um, and yeah, it's just gonna have to be something that this team figures out as the season goes on, um, how to how to win on the road, or just you know to, to score goals even on the road, because um, that's that's been an issue. That's been a struggle for them. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's obviously not a, a great loss. That wasn't a very impressive performance. And now we'll see what they they can do at Philadelphia. I think I think they're actually at home against Philadelphia this week, which – Yeah, that's right. Excuse me. Yeah. Then they'll I be mean, at um, D.C. United. Yeah, Philadelphia yeah. is not having a good year in their own right there, I believe. 12th or 13th in the Eastern Conference standings. I can't remember how many teams are in that conference. They're just ahead of Chicago, but Philadelphia is a great team that's coming off of a great year last year. So we we know Philadelphia is a much better team than what they've shown the first couple of games of the season here. So, I mean, Chicago likes to play at home, but this is not going to be an easy task for them at home. And if they, if they just, I mean, obviously they want to get a point at best or at worst, but getting three points would be huge. But if they don't get a point in this game against Philadelphia, then you're looking at, like you said, going on the road against DC United, who's kind of in the middle of the standings, things aren't going to get any easier. And with Chicago having that three week layoff to start June, they need to start getting a win here and a couple points heading into June. Otherwise coming out of that three week layoff, I think it's going to be a pretty big uphill battle for them the rest of the way. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, Chicago is right now 13th out of 14, 14 in the East, and Philadelphia is 12th. And yeah, time to uh, start picking up some points to, you know, get back in the flow of things. That's all the time Cole and I have for you today on Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. Uh, Cole, anything else you want to add today? Yeah, I um, wanted to point out that a former Clemson offensive lineman, Gage Cervenka, who had a, a solid career at Clemson. Um, Cervenka's been signed as an undrafted free agent by the Bears, so that's that's uh, 
great to see. And also Demir Bird, um, a, a talented um, wideout who, you know, playmaker, a guy in, in special teams who make an impact there. Um, he's also been signed by the Bears. So um, a couple good good signings there, obviously. And, uh, yeah, I mean, so far a, a solid offseason for the Bears. Cole and I will be back next week, hopefully at the normal time next Wednesday. But take care, Cole. Have a great rest of your week and enjoy your weekend. Okay. You too, man. Thanks. Talk to you soon.